Hey Coconuts, today in TFC Stock Geekout, we're going to explore one of the largest, if not the largest digital payment infrastructure out there today. They have dominated the digital payment landscape for decades, right? And they've constantly innovated to stay relevant. But I will say in the recent years, there's been a lot of changes in the digital payment space. And the potential seismic shift by some of the central banks is a cause for concern. I mean, the Chinese central banks is planning and already piloting the digital yuan in the market out there. So will all these changes bite into the dominance and the duopoly of this company today? Joining me today to geek out on this payment juggernaut is Thomas Steele, our in-house stock and tech geek. We're going to talk about Visa because the other one is MasterCard. But Visa is the focus for today and Visa runs the underlying infrastructure for most digital payments. Today, they essentially have built the roads right between the merchants, the banks, the consumers. And because of that, they have you know dominated the space. But there's a lot of serious competition and a lot of money coming in to challenge their dominance. They are also putting up a lot of cash to try to acquire the competitors and stay relevant. But all that being said, can Visa fight the grant and you know, continue to be there with us within the next decade? Listen in to find out more. For your reference sake, this episode was recorded on the 7th of August 2021. Our discussion today is solely for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not serve as any form of advice or recommendations. Thank you for loving what we do and empowering us financially to do more for you. Join our community telegram group for further discussion. Let's geek out. So today we are back uh, to record another thing about payments, right? I think I think the payment ecosystem is extremely underexplored in the sense of uh, everybody is only talking about the big bang, you know, the famous stuff, the the things in the media cycle. But actually, there are a lot of big boys in the payment space already. And today we're going to spend some time to talk about one of the three big boys: Mastercard, UnionPay, and today we're going to talk about Visa, right? So uh, why do we want to talk about Visa, Thomas? I think Visa is a very common brand that we see that's being used today, especially for your debit or credit cards. But the understanding of how it actually works behind the scenes is also important to understand uh, the payments industry as a whole. And basically, they are incumbent, uh, right? They are the existing players. And we have a lot of new tech players that's trying to eat into their market share, right? We also have to understand what Visa is trying to do about it, um, whether they can actually fight it off and whether they can still exist, uh. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, so what does it mean that they are the incumbent? In a sense of, they are the OG guys, they are one of the biggest out there, even bigger than MasterCard. Mm. So amongst the three, they are the biggest. But uh, in terms of uh, number of payments process and, and all that, right? So processing volume. But what does it mean by they are the incumbent and other people are trying to attack them? Like in, in what way? Right, because they are basically facilitating a lot of the credit payments around the world, even for debit payments. They are that infrastructure that you can call even a network, right? You have your undersea cables for your internet, right? You have your your Singtel and all these kind of things, which is your Stelco. But you also need to have another network for payments, right? And Visa is basically providing that kind of backbone uh, to facilitate the the payments between banks, between uh, different kinds of parties. Now, it doesn't mean that these kind of networks uh, is there to stay, right? Because if there's probably other tech or other kinds of ways that payments can be made, say, example, through online means, right? This tech infrastructure could no longer be relevant anymore. Yeah, so what do I mean by that? Uh, there's always these kind of like incumbents in other industries, right? The main players, your, your old telcos and all that. 
And then say you have your new players that comes in, right? You don't even need any infrastructure. It's like on the software level, um, they call it open RAN and all that. Like recently, Rakuten, they just uh, are doing partnerships with existing telcos to provide 5G without all the clunky infrastructure, right? So those are the new players. So in the form for payments, right? Visa is incumbent. Who are the newer players? You've got PayPal, you've got say even Square, you've got other kinds of startups sprouting left and right and all that. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the interesting part that a lot of people, I think, don't understand about Visa is that if you want to start a payment company, the bank is not interested to entertain you. The merchants are not interested to entertain you. There, there's just so much going on to build that trust and credibility, right? So most of the payment companies are actually using Visa and Master and Union Pay as their backbone, right? So they, they got all their, you know, whatever brand that they put on top, you know, uh, Square Pay, Shopify Pay, uh, Apple Pay, Google Pay, whatever pay, as long as the payment actually goes through the banking system, they're actually using Visa, Master, or Union Pay as their backbone infrastructure. But exactly like what you say, right? These days, people are routing out of the banking infrastructure already. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is why, you know, uh, Alipay, or they call it N Financials, is N Financial is getting mm. regulated by the Chinese government because they're essentially routing out of the banking system, right? So they're building their own mm. ecosystem and they're just lending amongst themselves, transacting payments. So whether yep. is it TransferWise, Alipay, WeChat Pay, Venmo, you know, uh, Cash App, which is also, you know, from Square... Uh, essentially, all these guys are routing out of the banking system. They are building their own small little credit e- ecosystem. And, mm. you know, they're not using the banking system anymore. So, in that sense, uh, exactly like what you say, right? Visa is going through this process of, like, people are not attacking their business, but they're just building a whole different way to do payments, right? And right. in that sense, uh, it's challenging for them. And so, you hit an important point. Basically, any network, right, has to have some kind of regulation involved by the government, Right? So with the newer ways of doing these payments, they either have to comply or they'll face fines. Uh, right? Or even in the case of China, shutting down and things like that. So Visa does have certain kinds of uh, foothold because of this. It's like existing infrastructure already, right? Don't like change the whole thing. Lah, right? So and there's a dependency on this such that you can do, say, like uh, checks for fraud, especially. And for governments, if they need to uh, lock down certain kinds of accounts, then Visa will have to comply also. It's a, a lot wider, la. payment systems, the payments infrastructure, the whole ecosystem. Um, there's a lot of players involved and it's important in today's globalized world. La. Mm-hmm. But of course, I think Visa is not hanging around. Like, it's not like chilling and doing nothing. Sure. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> for sure, for they sure. Doing, they're making all these cash. You know, um, It is a very uh, high margin business in a sense of, uh, it's the same with tech, it's the same with brands, it's the same with a lot of these kind of asset-like businesses that content also is a very asset-like business. Once you put it out there, uh, your marginal cost for production is minimal or in fact limited mm. because you just keep selling, right? Keep selling, you, you do the same thing, you keep selling upside. So same mm. for Visa as a business. Uh, they have all these cash and what are they doing to compete with all these guys? Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll talk a lot about that thing a bit later. La. I, I like to like give a broader understanding of the ecosystem. So it's basically about the process between what happens when you try to buy something. So let's say you are wanting to buy something la, from a shopping mall, right? Assuming that you have a debit or credit card, it doesn't matter, <laughs> but you just want to buy something. Okay. I have very long never go shopping mall buy anything. <laughs> I okay, hope okay, this yes. brings you memories yeah, that through COVID. Um, please yeah, support the it, physical I'm stores. I'm feeling it. Wow. Okay, so it's a, imagine it's a physical store. Okay, Now you have a Visa debit card or credit card. The credit card or debit card right, is not issued by Visa. This is issued by your bank. 
visa is just an intermediary. So this is an important term. It's an intermediary between all the different payment and the receivers, right? Someone is paying, someone is receiving, right? Usually in consumer transactions, right? This will be between two banks, right? Now, Visa does not hold the money. Visa facilitates how the money is being transferred. So this is an important point, right? Visa is the intermediary. And then you have your banks. Lah. You can call them the acquirers, can wear issuers. These are all the industry terms. But just think of it as your bank transfers. But because it's credit card, it's not just a simple bank transfer anymore. It's got to go through Visa or MasterCard or any other card that you use. Lah. So once uh, you actually want to purchase something, your information as the customer is going to be sent over some network. Right? It's not the internet, right? This is Visa's own network to the acquiring bank. So let's say it's like Citibank or OCBC or Sheffer, it will request permission right, to transact with this card, your debit or credit card that is being issued by your bank. right? And once your bank authorizes, this transaction is made. So some response is then issued to the store to say like, okay, go ahead. The person has enough. The person uh, passes all the possible credit checks and all that. And it's not listed for fraud. Uh. Then tit, you hear the machine do that, right? So all these behind the scenes, uh, it's actually Visa that is doing it. But of course, it's got to have all these interconnected links, right? The responses and all that between the, the, the two banks. Uh. So again, Visa does not hold the money, but it benefits the few banks in several ways. So... That's how they actually make the money. The services to the banks, the data processing side of things, and making these whole payments through credit or debit cards, right, seamless. That's what Visa actually does. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people that don't recognize it, this thing did not happen overnight, right? It's an overtime process that they become mm. so efficient and so dominant that other people just pull out the game and, you know, they become one of the only few. So they have a duopoly or, you know, like an oligopoly amongst a few of them which are you know, very efficient and very big in the space already. And they do process thousands of transactions per second. Right? So I think that is something that people should be aware of. But it's also the base case as to why, you know, a cryptocurrency is becoming a thing with the whole blockchain technology or even your P2P transfer, which are all the things that are competing with this uh, transaction volume, right? But fundamentally... Visa is the grandfather of this thing, like, essentially. <laughs> Visa and MasterCard. Yes. And uh, this is the old way of how transactions are being done. Mm. Do you remember like seven or eight years ago, right? Uh, Visa, MasterCard, they were pushing very hard on actually this tap-to-pay concept by using mm. their credit cards. Mm. Right? It was in the cinemas, it was on the like billboards, it was on like, the bus stop, the advertisement. PayWave, mm. yeah. Yes. And yes. then it, it, is their it, it slowly got catching. It's their tech. Yes. Mm. And mm. the evolution of that you can see now is that now you can do the tap to pay but through your phone instead. Right? Mm. But mm. underlying all that, right? Whoever started it, it's the Visa, it's the MasterCard, mm. it's say your yeah. Union Pay. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of the things is it's not just the cards, it's the terminals, you know, the whole like connectivity and, and all these little little things that they were trying to do, right? So it is a lot more than just a payment processor. A lot of the new technology that you see through payments, uh, they were the ones that created. But 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 okay, but the competition is, is real. Okay. So the, the competition mm-hmm. with the tech guys and all your cryptocurrency guys, you know, they are challenging this space. Lah. Right. So any other things that we need to note when understanding the payment processes or at least specifically on Visa's uh, business processes? I think on the regulation side of things and some of the service level agreements that they have with the banks is, is basically to do with fraud, right? Or mm. reversal of the transactions. I think this is the, the two key things that they do. They, they do a lot of other stuff also, but uh, mainly to do with payments is regarding this. Uh. So let's say the buyer, the customer, you have a dispute in the transaction, right? 
if you buy it through a bank transfer, right? That's it. Your money is already transferred to the merchant. You're at the mercy of the merchant. Ma. But if you do it through a credit card, right? This money is sort of controlled because it's facilitated by Visa. You can go through the bank to ask for help. But what the bank does is that it will then ask Visa for help, right? To say like block or reverse the transaction for you. Yeah, if there's fraud, then it's going to be blocked also through the Visa network. So mm. they have some uh, critical services which they provide to the bank, which is how they actually make the money also. So there's a double thing. They provide the mm. service to facilitate payments for you, the customer, and between the merchant, but also for the bank on the behind the scenes things, which is like fraud prevention, detection, um, authorization, clearing, settlement, all the back end stuff that you don't usually think about. Yeah, but these are essential as a bank and for the government as well. Mm-hmm. Can you help me expand a little bit? I know just now you talk a little bit about credit. Right? So credit and debit is fundamentally very different. Uh. And I'm sure people mm. listening, they understand. Debit card means you spend the money. It's already your money. You spend, you just mm. transact, right? So very simple in that sense. But mm. uh, what is the difference then from a processor standpoint when processing credit that is different from debit? Uh? Right. Because credit is actually money that you borrow, uh, close in mm. commerce uh, from the bank. It has interest. It has late fees and all that kind of stuff. But the bank knows that it can make a certain amount because there's always this percentage of people who actually pay late. Because they charge you very, very high interest if you late payment. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you only, need that, you only need that sliver of people to pay late, mm, mm. right? And then you make the interest on top of that. Right? It's actually a lot, right? A lot. Um, and of course, bro. yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and the bank actually makes a lot of money for this. So they are the ones that's distributing different kinds of cards with uh, different offerings. Uh. Say like this card is for cashback one, this one is for rebates, like groceries only, some is for I know they're uh, asking what, frequent they, flyer they, miles. Yeah, they're disturbing us to sponsor content and all that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they have high margin as a business, right? So um, yeah. essentially, they will do a lot of marketing campaigns and I mean, they give free luggage and everything. So Right. And, and this marketing uh, is actually done by the banks. Right, Visa mm. has got nothing to do with this. Only Visa mm. just say, okay, I'm going to support you whichever. Just provide me more transactions. It's fine. You can do whichever. Right mm. now, it's the bank that is selling these products to us, the consumers, or I'll say like to the businesses and all that. So this money uh, that you borrow is actually from the bank. They have their own way to go and calculate their P and L and all that kind of stuff. But that's how they make, and they will make more from the credit cards rather than the debit cards because debit cards is just basically just what you have in your account. You're not borrowing anything, right? So for credit. Visa will have to spend more effort lah, right, in doing these checks and balances behind the scenes. So just because there's this borrowing amount, but also when you're borrowing from other kinds of banks and all that, there's additional processes like the reversal of the transaction. It's if you are the buyer, right, you probably have a higher chance of reversing the transaction through a credit card as compared to a debit card. Because a debit card is just like a bank transfer. It's much less involved. Yeah, yes, but yes. with credit, there's a lot more in-between checks, right? You can stop in-between. The more processes there are and the more stop points that there are within the process, the easier it is to actually stop a transaction from going through. Yes. I mean, we've all stayed in a hotel before somehow, right? Hotel always asks you to put deposit, right? And then they will say like, oh, this will be indicated in your statements, but when you leave, it will come back to you because it's a deposit, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So if you think about it, Visa is 
essentially supporting this whole process, you know, from interest yep. to late fees, rebates, forex differences, and and what have you, right? So the more complicated the transaction, the more money they make, lah. <laughs> essentially, mm-hmm. which is why they they were trying to push for global payments and, and a lot of stuff also. For yep. for many many years, a lot of these payment companies, their opening statement is always global payments, global payments. You know, <laughs> every one mm-hmm. of them, Visa is not unique in itself. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. uh, something for our listeners to be vividly aware of what Visa is really trying to do as a company it's just processing payments and the more complicated the process the more they can charge so international payments are even more complicated so they charge higher and that's why they want to push for uh, international payments lah. essentially that's the, mm. that's the idea right 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 Okay, so just, just a side note lah. sometimes the charges that say either the hotel or let's say a refund lah, that's being processed right you notice that the transaction is done a little bit weird so what happens mm. is that some hotels lah, they charge you for the amount then they refund you the full amount some actually do it as a whole, right? So mentally, right, it's actually like money coming out of your account, but money is being put back. Net-net is still okay lah. But you're totally not okay with that because your credit card actually got charged, right? It's different mm. from a whole. Let's say $500 mm. is pending outwards, right? If something happens, right? Some is just, they just deduct automatically, then they return to you in two or three days. This is very different, right? So when you investigate further, right, this is facilitated by Visa, but how it was structured, right? You have to go after the merchant or that hotel. Yeah. Mm, okay, okay. Yep. So for all of you credit card hackers, you know, you, you know, you <laughs> here's some inside thoughts, right? Okay. So knowing that Visa does all these different things, right? Can we kind of have a segmentation of how do we sure. look at their business? Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. So mainly it's the data processing side of things. This constitutes like 40% of their revenue. Imagine this as your toll gate, right? The fees where Visa collects is based off the number of transactions made, basically volume. Right? The more transactions that's being authorized, that's cleared, that's settled, right? Visa gets paid for that. And probably it's the banks that is that's paying them. Or in some segments, it's also the businesses directly. Yeah. So it's between the merchant, between the banks, and, and so on and so forth, depending on whichever use case. So that's data processing. Okay. They have another segment called services. So services is basically directly impacting to earnings also, right? The more the product costs, usually Visa earns a little bit more also. Right, mm, mm. So all this is to do with data processing in some sense, but they separate it out because this is specifically for more like unique use cases. Mm. Like, like what? Yeah. So let's say the higher value, the amount, right? They, of course, would have to conduct more checks. Uh, right? Okay, okay. Let's say now you go and buy a car online. That's going to be very different from, say, buying... Uh, donuts, yes. Yeah. I don't know why thing. I think of donuts anyway, but yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's Saturday, yeah. guys. We're recording Saturday morning. I really want to go and have some donuts. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. And then I, if I, you I, want to have uh, more custom checks, let's say the refund kind of thing, right? The fees mm, for mm. those kind of refund mechanisms, right, will be more expensive than say like, oh, you transact then I just give you back lah, right? I'm using your existing mechanism really what? But if you want something that is more customer oriented, then pay more lah, right? And usually with that, the ticket items are higher. Uh, then there is the international transaction segment. So basically, this has to do with cross-border payments. So there are some fees there, right, between the banks. So there are some currency conversions, which they, Visa also can collect. Yeah, but the bulk of it they are making is through data processing as well as for services. Uh. Yeah, essentially, I think the idea holds, right? For you guys listening, they are doing processing as a payment processor. So the basic level is the processing, right? Which is the 40% mm. of the business. And then as the process becomes more and more complicated, international, big ticket, whatever you, then everything gets add on, right? So 
in that sense, uh, you can look at you know Visa's business as fundamentally just processing. Everything is just on top, and you can see mm. from their breakdown. I'm trying to understand all these newer kind of uh, transaction styles that they are facilitating, and how are they really charging mm. uh, as we go along, lah. Yeah. Oh, many, many, many. Yeah, yeah. They are really just aggregating all the different use cases into like data processing and services. But if you want to break down, there are several. Example: There's they split between direct, which is like real time transaction, versus a uh, commercial. Right. So this is the difference. Um, let's say it's enabling peer to peer payments. Right. Peer to peer payments. You want it to be as real time as possible, ma. Right. We got two or three days. Then later, appear in your friend's account. One cannot be one. <laughs> right. Mm. So that's mm. one thing. Uh, another is say like cross-border remittance. So basically, let's say you're working in Singapore and then you send back uh, money to your family overseas and things like that. Visa can facilitate that as well. Um, insurance. Let's say you want to claim online and all that. That is also say more big ticket items, right? So that's where these kind of things can come in. Other services that's underneath is together with data processing as well as services. Yeah, so it's, it can get quite complex. Huh? Then there's gig economy and contractor payments. Usually gig economy is like you don't send the whole lump sum one shot. Right, let's say you engage a freelancer, you break it up into different payments. But for the freelancer also, you want to make sure that they have some guarantee, ma, right? So you you operate in some kind of like escrow. So Visa holds the full amount, right? But incrementally, as the project progresses, you unlock some of the funds, and then that gets processed. Yeah. So that being said, there's some fees for this, but other freelance sites they opt to do their own altogether. So if you go like freelancer.com and all that, they have this same escrow system, right? But they built it on themselves. Yeah, and they only transact through PayPal. Yeah, so this is the whole online route, right? Which is uh, gaining, I'll say, more awareness, right? To try and bypass Visa's own network. Yeah, so that's the reason why uh, some of the business models exist today because of these things. Uh. Then there's payroll, uh, marketplaces like e-commerce, small business settlement and loan disbursement and all that. So really, the, the whole idea of payments, right? There's so many other kinds of use cases, but this is just within uh, data processing. You can just label it as transactions uh, if, if um, that helps you to understand better. Then uh, finally, for services, uh, you can look at it to help process the payments, right? This can differ by the specific country which they are in because of regulatory requirements. It's also by the specific use case. So what do I mean by that? Let's say you want to conduct client portfolio checks. Wow, this kind of thing is, is really different, right? Your jurisdiction, your size, right? Your brokerage and all that, which different banks you need to go and check and all that. Now, the next one is improving the credit approval turnaround time. Like, huh? How do you do that? It's very, very commercial, right? So this is also quite customized. You have different plans for this. You also want to enable the recurring payments. So example, um, you have software as a service companies, right? Online, there's the option of PayPal. There's also the option of credit cards and all that. But there's different ways to bill. Ma. Let's say lump sum or you bill every month or you have this package that is like, oh, you buy three, get one, one free, that kind of thing. And lastly, it's performance risk compliance monitoring. Now, Different use cases will mean that basically if you're a finance person, you want to have some kind of reports over say fraudulent tra transactions and all that, right? If you ask Visa to do all this for each customer, it's going to be expensive, correct? So they will have to mark up in some way. La. They cannot just treat every transaction as the same. It has to go by the use case. Mm, mm. Exactly about package. Huh? So mm. I think Visa is very similar to Microsoft that we previously discussed. Microsoft also got all these different things that they're doing, mm. right? And then they serve the enterprise client as a package. Right? So same for Visa. The, the bigger the business, if you run, let's say, an international law firm, you know, and you have all these different ways of payment and all these different strategy and all these different styles, right? Essentially, Visa will be your one-stop provider that you can go to and, and use it. 
Right, so I, I think essentially what Visa is trying to do is to be to be able to process everything, lah. Right, yeah. so if they can process everything, then you one stop look for them, you will get a special rate and all that. Right, so for a lot of people, you may only recognize Visa Mastercard as the stupid logo on your on your card, but actually a lot of things, whether is it. Uh, big payment companies, branded payment companies, or you know your enterprise companies, they they charge you different different ways. You don't even know what processors mm. they are using, mm. right? It's very complicated. Even some of PayPal, Apple Pay, Google Pay's transaction will use the Visa, Mastercard, you know, uh, Union Pay ecosystem. Depending on where are they doing, what are they doing, and 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 all that stuff, right? So essentially, right, if you think about it, whoever wins the payment game, Visa and Mastercard are underneath all of them, right? So mm. I do think there is still a very strong uh, proposition yeah, in terms of uh, visa, lah. Okay, uh, I'm not hiding my exposure to visa. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do, I do own visa, All right, So I think that's something for for people to to understand. Mm-mm-mm. You you brought up a good point actually because whatever visa does behind the scenes, right? They don't want they say the payers to bother about it. This is the banks, this is the yeah. merchants' problem to go and settle. But as a brand. Right, you use Visa, you use the credit cards, right? I just want you to make the payments as seamless as possible because their network will benefit f- because of it. Don't go for Mastercard, yeah. don't go for PayPal, go by Visa because it's the most seamless thing. So as much as possible, their strategy is to make sure that the payments are seamless. So the tap to pay thing last time with the credit card and now to the phone because basically it's very seamless. And even next time on the web, right, it's click to pay already. You don't need to enter your credit card details. It says somewhere on the online, right? You click. It just works. Yeah. A bit scary. La. It's, it's like the Amazon just click to buy. Same kind of concept. Yes, yes, yes. And I believe this is one of the reasons why there are a lot of new payment companies that are coming out. You know, they, they don't actually build their own processing back end. Mm. They're using some of these big boys like uh, like Visa. Yeah. Okay, so uh, beyond all of that, right, I think something to be interesting of is all the interesting like value-added services and all the new ways of payments and strategies that they're, that they're right. building on, right? Okay, do we want to walk through some of these things? Sure, sure, sure. So I think going forward, Visa will want to be the dominant infrastructure, right? Wherever the payments ecosystem goes to. Correction, they are already quite a dominant. I, I say that because as an incumbent, la, they have yes. threats from yes, competitors, yes, new entrants, and all that. Yes, yes. Um, but mm, mm, mm. because uh, being more, I would say, practical, they could have their market share taken away through like purely online means. Because if let's say everyone stops spending retail and then everything just goes online, right? There's less need for those kind of retail payments network to be done, ma, right? So that's where they are strong at. But for online, right? You see, say like PayPal, Stripe taking up more market share, right? So whichever the way that it goes, hopefully people will still use credit cards. That is the assumption, right? And through their infrastructure, now, at least they can control through the, the second part, right? Through their infrastructure. So they want to form as much partnerships as possible. Whichever startup, whichever fintech, whichever bank, right? Use Visa infrastructure. Never mind, you don't use mm. our credit card. Use our infrastructure, right? So you have a lot of partnerships, say, okay, example, India, right? Google Pay and Paytm. In South Korea, it's uh, this app called TOS. China is Alipay and WeChat Pay. In Japan, there's PayD, Cash, Line Pay. Southeast Asia and Taiwan, there's Gojek and Line. Right? These are just the bigger names. Uh, but you have a lot of other startups, a lot of other fintech, which they don't have, say, certain licensing to process payments, they will tap on Visa instead. So behind the scenes, it's actually this like debit credit card ecosystem behind the scenes. But on the front, it doesn't matter. It's just this new branding that's slapped on top of a startup. And then behind the scenes, it's like, oh, powered by Visa. 
Yes, yes, yes. But I also want to put it out there that they are not the only ones doing this thing. Yes. PayPal a few years ago also took a pivot. In the past, PayPal only processed their own payments. They don't do all these other stuff. But they have also opened up their ecosystem to take a lower margin and co-brand and do all these partnerships with all these different... I think UberPay uses PayPal's ecosystem. Mm. Um, quite a few uh, big companies all use PayPal's ecosystem. Okay, to be exact, I think a lot of the big companies, they use multiple yep. <laughs> payment processing systems. So PayPal also opened up their ecosystem uh, as a challenge to, to this. But to be fair to all of them, they have all come out to be unanimous and say that their biggest competition is cash and not each other. Yeah. Right. So, well, uh, but but you know, <laughs> you know, you know, I I don't know. <laughs> I, so, I think so. then they want to do more with like the total addressable market. Like, sure, the the market size is huge, like If you talk about the cash, it just grows every year. You count inflation, you count the money printing, and all that. But realistically speaking, the new banks, digital banks, fintech companies, they'll say, they'll say, oh, we are the war on cash. Also, our total addressable market is this size. But everyone is fighting for it. It should be equally divided. If not, you look by the market share, ma. So realistically speaking. Just look at competition, which you can talk about later on. There's a whole landscape which Visa has to fight against because it's so broad, right? If you say just a war on cash, yes, agreeable. But people are having different solutions to tackle this war on cash. Some is very mm. localized solution. Some is through partnership with XYZ plus Visa plus MasterCard, which everything else one. So no matter what, mm. Visa is also going to be benefiting. But there comes like, say, a player like Square, for example, right? They have their own payments, hardware, they also have their own infrastructure behind the scenes and now also want to offer the crypto plus their own infra plus PayPal plus Stripe, but leaving out um, Visa and MasterCard over time. So how, right? It really depends then right, on the consumers, which is their preferred mode of payment. If it's going to be everything and anything, it doesn't really matter, right? If it's going to be purely crypto, it's going to be a problem. If it's going to be purely cash, then like, okay, like, everyone still benefits. Uh, or is it going to still be credit card solely? Right? So this is really a, a battle. It's a whole landscape and the landscape is always changing because of these new technologies. Uh, the next thing that they want to do other than partnerships is diversifying these revenue streams. So we talk about all these landscapes and all that. So where are all these technologies rising? Where are all these competitors going? Right? Visa wants to be there so to at least meet them where they are and then just defend. Right? So crypto, they have digital banks, their own versions, many, many different plethora of services. Uh. So in order to bridge the gap between crypto and the fiat currency, let's, let's say like even for cash or credit, right, or just riding on a wave, uh, doesn't matter. So at least Visa can accept payments in USD coin. USD coin is a type of crypto. It's not your USD dollar. Uh. It's, it's actual coin. It's a type of stable coin. And being able to accept that kind of payments at least opens up the avenue where okay, people have USD coin or they're in crypto, they can convert and then process it through Visa's infrastructure already. So that's what they're trying to do for on the side of crypto. If let's say for riding on trends, where people prefer to pay, right? It's no longer on web on your e-commerce, it's gonna be on mobile. And it's no longer on your mobile app, it might even be through your messaging applications, your WhatsApp, for example. Yeah. So your peer-to-peer -peer payments can be done through WhatsApp. Uh, in certain countries, I'm not wrong, it's India. Uh, yeah, and this is powered by Visa Direct, Visa Cloud Token. So that's for in the platform itself and a very specific application. Okay, then you have PayPal. Now, PayPal is everywhere where Visa wants to be or so, right? And just recently, PayPal is trying to do for uh, retail transactions. But PayPal is more dominant on the website of things. So they have instant transfers for merchant settlement and peer-to-peer -peer via Visa Direct as well, but mostly for Australia. So the consumer trends are, is very different by country and it's very different by the technology which the consumers like in that country. So being that kind of infrastructure that is able to serve a lot 
has its pros and cons. Like you can be wherever the new entrants are, but if the consumer trends shift, right, you have to be fast enough to adapt to it. Or if let's say a dominant player, say like PayPal, it's on the web already, it's too strong on the web. What can you do about it? Your way to fight against it is that or accept more credit cards or online. Is that kind of play? Yeah. Brokerages. So in Canada, it's called Quest Trade. They have the instant deposit of funding trade accounts in seconds. Right, so this is actually facilitated by, oh. by Visa as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you might see the similar kinds of um, uh, user experience that Momo uh, is actually providing. I, I think in Singapore, you can actually fund it in, in seconds or so. So you just link up your bank account and then that's done. Not sure whether it's powered by Visa, but consumer experience-wise, yeah, you probably want to fund your brokerage account in seconds rather than in days, right? So that's the kind of uh, trend that's coming on. So that's for diversifying their streams in regards to all these uh, landscape changes, they also want to grow by acquisition. They can't do everything internally. They can't do as fast internally. So they, yeah. are, they are buying a lot because the, the space is moving quite fast. Yeah. Yes. And basically just provide mm-hmm. an API endpoint. Uh, API basically is some way to talk with their existing infrastructure to these startups, acquire them, and then they're good to go. So there's Tink, which is personalized financial data. Basically, you can see all your financial data across wherever you have. Yeah. And then uh, other acquisitions they will have is yeah, FX solutions for cross-border payments. Specific countries, they have credit checks or... Yeah, they buy a lot, of, a lot of smaller payment guys in different, different countries because same idea if you, if you run a company and you know, there's already your competition that's growing so fast. Right? Same, yeah. same idea with Facebook. You, know, you just buy up the other social network. Right? So you just buy up the other processing network. So yeah. I think uh, Visa is doing a lot of that and they're pretty aggressive uh, in this space. So yeah. that is, I think, good news for a Visa investor like, like, like myself. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I think that's that. Yeah. Okay. So I think we've definitely established you know, their model, what they're doing, the value of the services, their competition and all that. right? So when looking at this company, what are some core metrics that we need to understand you know, to know whether oh, they are doing well or not? I think payments for sure, the volume, right? So this actually increased mm. 34% year on year. So pretty solid. Yeah. yeah. If you say like this war on cash thing, then okay, like Visa is still kind of getting a, a lot of that. You look at cross-border volume also. So including like intra-Europe, it's 53%, right? Total like worldwide is 47%. So there's a lot of transactions that's being facilitated by Visa, right? Cross-border. Now, when you have cross-border, it means that it's more globalized. You say like the whole state of what is globalization and payments being transacted across the world, right? Is high, right? And it's also increasing. So when this happens, right? There's a lot of benefit to Visa's ecosystem as compared to using other conventional means. Let's say cash, right? But it also means that you should track this closely with, say, competitors like PayPal or Square because they can facilitate the same thing as well. Which one is growing faster and which one is taking more dominant share? Right? Then we can have an idea of where the trend is heading at least. The number of process transactions also is like 39% growth. So this is a number that is really down to their earnings and probably to the bottom line. So this keeps increasing every year, which is good. So other than the payments, you go to the, let's say, the new areas of payments like crypto. Where are they? in the whole crypto startup uh, ecosystem. So right now, they are supporting 50 crypto wallet and platforms compared to 35 last year, right? And it's definitely more than MasterCard already. So if you talk about, oh, Visa and MasterCard, Visa's winning. La. But uh, again, we cannot just look at it like incumbents. We must look at Visa versus PayPal versus Square and all that kind of stuff. Then we have an idea. La. But overall, uh, as more and more platforms, as more and more partnerships are coming on board, if the payment volumes are increasing that is coming from these platforms, then it's a, it's a good sign. If it's coming solely from their existing network, uh, that means like retail transactions or on the web, right? Then it's concerning. 
Yeah, that means actually whatever mm. plans they have to expand or to acquire wasn't actually working out. Yeah, but so far seems okay. Seems okay. You also want to see, say, the number of countries and territories which you're at. So far, it's two hundred plus. With the number of credit cards that they have or debit cards worldwide, it's three point five billion, right? Total number of transactions, the number of currencies that they support, yeah. a, a lot of metrics. <laughs> uh, really, a lot of metrics. But uh, basically, the ones yeah. that we talked about earlier, th- those are the key ones to look at. Yeah. The base idea, right? As long as yeah. you see more payments, you see more integration. Okay, I think more payment volume is the base idea when looking at payment companies. Yeah. Okay, but because of the shakeup in the landscape, you want to see more integration in the more digital, the more cryptocurrency kind of space. Yeah. You know, so so personally, I'm I'm not a big fan of cryptocurrencies, like in the sense of like I I don't know how to value it yet. I'm learning and I'm, I'm trying to see it. Uh, so far, nobody gave me very good answers. <laughs> I will do, I'll do a podcast about it. But if you look at it as a gold rush, these guys are the spades, right? So, you know, all your payment processes, uh, all your exchanges, they are the spades. And mm. uh, it's no harm owning some spades. Whether or not the cryptocurrency eventually fade out, it still keeps Visa as a dominant player or keeps uh, some of these spades as the dominant player in their space, right? So it is just a risk-reward kind of strategy that Visa is spending a lot in this space. Uh, mm. Whether or not ultimately this space is here to stay, uh, this is uh, still a question mark. Uh, I'm leaning towards yes, lah, but whether or not owning the cryptocurrency will make you very, very wealthy, that one, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at least I know owning Visa will make you decent uh, in my view uh, in my view mm-hmm. yeah so basically you, if you want to go into a deep dive in this you got to go by country you open a rabbit hole uh. so the country how many cross-border payments to another country and in, by which medium medium meaning like cash credit or by crypto or through PayPal PayPal through credit card which is Visa yeah you open a can mm-hmm. of worms uh. mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, I leave it yeah. to yeah. I leave it to how you guys to go. how yes, how yes. how how yes. stringent you want to do your due diligence. Mm. Yes, it is a rabbit hole, very very deep, all the way to you know hardware to software to network. You know, it is very complicated. I I did that before, so I, I kind of know uh, what's <laughs> going on. <laughs> so yes, yes, let's walk through let's walk through the financials. I think sure. at the core we all can agree that it's fundamentally a dominant player in their space. Mm. But, but what are the financials looking like in the recent quarters at all? Okay, we've got numbers from Q3 2021, because they just reported. Uh revenue grew by 27% year on year. It's 6.1 billion, right? A lot of the key drivers uh increased significantly because of the COVID impact. La. So actually this 27% year on year is because 2020 wasn't such a good year for Visa. Spending actually declined worldwide. So this growth that you see is because there is some recovery, right? So the comparisons year on year, if you want to compare to other years, I think this one is the largest so far. Yeah, but it's still healthy. It's still healthy when we look at the revenue by the segments and say the costs uh, further down the line. So revenue by segment, um, data processing, which is the biggest, increased by 32%. It's to do the clearing, settlement, authorization, the value added, the network access and all that kind of stuff. Services increased by 17%. So services is the second largest one, which is which constitutes about 35% of the revenue so far, right? Which data processing is 40%, so almost equal, but services didn't grow as fast. International transactions, right? Cross-border transaction processing, currency conversion didn't increase that much, but it constitutes 19% of their revenue. And the others is quite negligible, uh, which is like 5% of the revenue. It is to do with license fees, value-added services, again, account holder services. So the main thing that is actually growing is the number of transactions, Right? The number of transactions, which leads to the data processing, is 32%, which is why the payments volume is important to look at. Then you look at costs. Costs increased by 11%, right? So it's 2 billion now as compared to 1.8 billion. And then for your operating margins, it's at 52.4% 
as compared to 64%. Mm, 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 so mm. Mar- margins actually dip slightly. The cash flow is still healthy though. It's uh, increased by 29%. So it's at 10 billion as compared to 7.7 billion. That's yeah. <laughs> it's a big big cash business. Yeah, super, super. The debt decreased slightly, but not by much. So it's at 20.1 billion compared to 21 billion. Yeah, they are not in a rush la, to, to actually pay this off. So basically... I um, mean, their cash flow is so high, they could, they could yeah. pay it down easily. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. They are not really afraid of inflation. We can go about it into, into later because inflation is actually a good thing for Visa. As the number of uh, transactions increase, um, that's a good thing. But also if the, the prices of goods increase, it's also good for Visa. Because they charge a percentage on the volume. So I think that's something people need to recognize. It's not yeah. a flat fee structure. Right. Right. So, okay, okay. But why the margins drop though, in your view? Uh, so they were spending a lot on acquisitions, right? They were spending a lot on, on also integrating all these kinds of, I would say, services that they acquire right, into their core the platform. The online stuff. La. Yeah, but payments volume drop as a whole. So the expenses are, if you assume like it's fixed or it's growing a little bit more because they're acquiring a lot of other players. That's why. Yeah, but it's a breakdown. The the expenses also yeah a lot of it went into marketing. So with any new service that is being launched, Visa also wants to be there, right? Of course, you have more of platforms course. that you need to go and distribute this to. A lot of communications and all that. Yeah, the network and processing increase very very slightly, right? So mm. it's not to do with that. So it's essentially, the cost of goods didn't really go up, but it's just because of the whole shakeup in the COVID situation that they right. had to build new services in a short period of time and then go and market these new services to all these merchants and all. Yes. Essentially, that's the idea, right? Yes, yes. So I see it's, it's just really temporary. Mm, okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. Let's talk a little bit about the management. This is a huge company. Yeah. They've been around for a long time. So, you know, it's crossed multiple generations already. Mm. <laughs> uh, don't expect founder led, uh, just saying. Yes, yes, <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Who, who, who are they? The CEO has been there for some time. Uh, his name is Alfred Kelly. Uh, previously, he was in American Express from 1987 to 2010. Then uh, he was also a president from 27 to 2010. Uh, CEO has a background in computer information science and an MBA. And he also previously held positions in information systems and financial planning at PepsiCo. Right? So very, very experienced person, also with a tech background that's leading Visa. La. So obviously, he, he comes from a previous credit card company. So that helps. It's not mm. random. One, la. Yeah. <laughs> of course it's not he, random. Yeah. And, and under him, they made a lot of acquisitions. They mm. were very aggressive you know, in the whole like, tech space and buying out all these guys. And, and I think partly has to do with you know, his background in comp science and all. Mm. Yeah. Then we have the chief marketing officer, right? Lynn Bigger. Uh, since 2016, previously at the Time Incorporated and also 20 years at American Express. So, well, there's some alumni there. La, right? And then actually there's another CEO, but for the Europe region. So previously, I mentioned every country or even region operates very differently, right? Europe as a whole is a whole different ballgame. Yeah. So Charlotte Hawk, she joined in 2017, but she's got 25 years of experience in the financial services, bank operations, management consulting. Okay, so a bit to unpack. She was previously the COO for Bank of England, 2013-2017. That's a central bank, right? Yes. Yeah. And then uh, retail distribution for Santander Bank in the UK. Managing Director at Experian at UK and Ireland Operations. Previously, the CEO of the Goldfish Bank at Discover Financial Services. <laughs> Goldfish Bank, sorry. I've got to name, name my bank. You know, if, if I have a bank in the future, I have something cute also. Yes, Goldfish <laughs> Bank, very cute. Yeah, continue, continue. Previously, Managing Director for Strategy and Planning at Morgan Stanley and Management Consultant at McKinsey. 
education wise also quite zai lah. Uh, BA in econs and yeah. history from Oxford, Doctor of Laws from Warwick. Yeah, and and I think a lot of people don't understand why Europe is so complicated. Right? Europe has a firstly a very complicated tax structure, and they have uh, multiple entities, multiple central banks in the region. So there's the whole ECB, and then below there are many central banks. They all have their own tax regime, but they kind of come together. And because a lot of them were very big powerhouse during the colonial time, so they do have a lot of legacy businesses mm. all around the world. You know, whether it's from the UK, France, you know, Spain, Dutch, what have you. So in that sense, they do have a very complicated payment ecosystem. Right. right and uh, people don't people don't appreciate it's, it's not as easy as in the US there's a centralized you know federal system everybody kind of complies you know mm. uh, or in China everybody there's a standardized system or even in India there's a, some sort of standardization across the big space right but Europe in itself is like we kind of centralized but we also have our own differences and all that so I think mm. that's an interesting thing to know yeah and Europe right um the penetration for certain countries there are very high for Visa lah and for Mastercard, but in some countries actually they either have their own solutions, so they don't use Visa or Mastercard at all, or basically they're just not dominant. No? So there's this interesting mm. structure about Europe. Every is is a region, yes, but you cannot assume right all European countries are the same. No, no ah, no ah, don't do yeah. that. So yeah, yeah. example uh, in Europe, it's very very high in Ireland, UK and Spain. It's about seventy to eighty nine percent right dominated by Visa. Right for Finland, Poland and Turkey, it's around the same with Mastercard around thirty to thirty nine percent. But once you hit, say, Russia, Italy, Germany, Denmark, Norway, Belgium, right, is sub forty percent, even down to six percent. So they just roll out their own solutions there. It's provided by their own like Visa or Mastercard equivalent, but uh, very very localized, ah, uh. yeah. And in those areas, Mastercard is slightly stronger, but it's never as strong as the domestic solutions. So those are areas, right, which is like, hmm, okay, interesting. Credit cards not really penetrated, but how about crypto, right? How about online payments? Mm. Ah, so it's a very different game there. Your your battleground there, right? Is yeah. totally different. So your Estonia, your Luxembourg, all yeah. those guys, they are big, big on the new wave of finance, right? A lot of people not right. aware, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it, it is it is what it is. Right. So you might see like, oh, hey, two CEOs are so weird. No, no, no. There's a reason for this. Yeah. Lastly, I think we need to touch on is there's a president for technology. So he's the closest to the CTO. So his name is Rajat Taneja. Uh, he's there since 2013. Previously, the EVP and CTO of EA. Right, that's Electronic Arts. And 1996 to 2011, he was at Microsoft as a corporate VP for the Commerce Division. Okay, interesting. They got a gaming guy around. I'm expecting uh, some sort of UI and you know better user experience you know, with him on board. Right. Okay, that's good. So how would you rate the management? Pretty strong, pretty stable. I think the structure makes sense. Localizing the leadership according to the background makes sense. Nah. Yeah, if you have one that's yeah, in charge yeah. of everything, it's too weird. Yeah, the structure is a bit too weird already. And even as, uh, say like, oftentimes when the company gets larger and larger, right, it tends to get more and more corporate. There's less and less emphasis on the tech. But I still like how they have tech people that is part of the management team. And that makes a difference in their overall direction. Fair, fair, good stuff. And and, and I just want to add on that there's a CEO of Europe because there's a lot of payments from Europe. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have CEO of ASEAN or CEO of Africa. There's not as much payments going on, you know, in this relative. It's all relative, right? So, yeah, yeah let's continue to see how they continue to expand their team. Yeah, that's, uh, I think we've talked a lot about, about the company and we make it sound like, you know, it's impenetrable, right? There are a lot of yeah. modes. Uh. So, what, yeah. what, are, what are some uh, modes that we can sum up, you know, for, for this company? I think it, as any network has its own mode, it's a network effect, right? The value of Visa will increase 
with every new user, with every new mode of payment, with every new touch point, basically. And being accepted everywhere will continue to spur them on. Uh. There's also a switching cost, right? Because this infrastructure is so vital for the banks now, right? The banks, you can look at it as incumbents. This is very, very important for them to use. Uh. Yeah. But this might change uh, once there's new digital banks and all that. They, maybe they use purely online, meaning like PayPal and Stripe, the kind of thing. They just bypass credit cards as a whole. They can even roll out their own credit cards through some other means. But of course, backed by Visa, then that's okay. But if it's not backed by Visa, then that's going to be an issue. But there still remains this kind of switching cost. Huh? Yeah. And of course, branding. Yeah. So it's a household name already. You would of course trust to use credit card through Visa or MasterCard. You would trust to receive payments that's facilitated by Visa or MasterCard. Not some random person. I say like, hey, uh, <laughs> I help you to facilitate your $5,000 transaction. La. Can, la, can, la. no problem. And the guy goes missing or something. Yeah, very shady. Yeah, but I think, yes, the branding is pretty there. But there are also a lot of uh, newer localized players that are also doing very well in branding, right? Yeah. So, so that is also something that is like, hmm, you know, interesting to, to look at. Branding, always very wonky one in my head. Yeah. Every, everybody can say, oh, this one very brand, very good. I was like, really? <laughs> so, you know, yeah, yeah. It's how, how do you value the brand, right? Yeah, so. Yeah, sometimes, continue, continue. sometimes these localized players are a little bit into the competition. Um, they provide their own off-the-shelf solution to try and replace the visa equivalent in their own country. Why? Because when visa goes into, say, uncharted territory, uh, let's say they don't support, say, like Vietnam, maybe Myanmar payments, mm, mm. the fees will be higher. And also because there's some risk there, right? For a localized player, right, they know the market a little bit better. They can roll their own tech also. Yes. The cost is lower. Ma. Yeah, it's like prepaid cards. You know, like the whole right. prepaid card at 7-Eleven and all that. You know, uh, a lot of people look at it as like, who still do that? But actually, in many parts of APEC, right, it, it's still a very big thing because yes. the whole digital infrastructure is not as established. So, you know, all your Google, Apple, they use this infrastructure to give people the... It's, it's like how in the past we buy MapleStory card like that. Lah. Same idea. Mm. Right? <laughs> you put your cash through these guys, right? So, so it's a very localized solution. Yeah, I think, like what you said, sometimes when they go into uncharted territory, firstly, they don't understand the landscape enough, you know, and also it will be very expensive as a provider so mm. yeah I think in that sense there are a lot of local providers here and there to, to dominate the space mm. so it may make more sense in that case for Visa to acquire those companies then integrate <laughs> them into the yeah. But not yes, often, yes, which not is often what they are doing, time. okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, but it is what they are doing, yes. Yes, mm. yes, yes. Yeah, so I think that's the, the three main things la, that is mm-hmm. a mode for Visa. Cool, cool. Yeah, you specifically talk about inflation. Yes. Right, so so I want I want to hear like why inflation is uh, actually good for this particular company. Well, I mean the prices of goods when they increase, right? Overall, this is beneficial for Visa because part of it of what they charge is based off the ticket price, right? So never mind that consumer spending might actually decrease a lot. But if let's say it's for essential kinds of items which uh, people are purchasing through credit cards, your lower ticket price ones, no matter what, right? Your low ticket price ones right, will also increase, right? So there is some kind of buffer which helps in Visa's business model as compared to say other companies, right? With different business models. Definitely they sell like whichever goods are, say like Apple. Okay, inflation is good for them also because they can just charge whichever they want. They are the cause of inflation. You know, so <laughs> if it's different for say like mm. the general goods and services, uh, if inflation increase for them, let's say their costs also increase, uh, that doesn't happen because they have certain kinds of margin, uh, the range isn't going to fluctuate much because their infrastructure is going to be the same. 
Okay, good stuff, good stuff. Um, it sounds like the company is very solid, no competitor, is it? Oh, like, <laughs> no, no risk factors and what have you. So maybe in, in closing, let's talk a little bit about their competition you know, and the risk factors. Because I think the growth opportunities are quite clear la, you know, mm. uh, through this whole process, whether it's digital payments or integration with the new way of payments or continued expansion right. into the unbanked regions and what have you. Right. Uh, everybody's talking about it. Right? So what are some risk factors and their competition in this space? I think we can talk about the incumbents versus incumbents. So there's, of course, MasterCard, which is the second biggest player, right? So they are, of course, doing almost the same thing that Visa does. So Visa has to watch out for that. On the part about new entrants. This is also a threat, right? So let's say the PayPal. This is the number one one. Uh. So they actually have integrations with PayPal, but it's like a very offhand kind of thing. Like you don't want to integrate too much into it, but just enough so you can tap on the trend. That's always Visa. They approach. are frenemies. La. They yes. are frenemies, bro. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for PayPal, uh, the last time we reviewed it, right? Actually, now that we have understood a little bit better about the existing payments network, what PayPal is actually doing is to whack the whole entire payments network for themselves. It's just being transacted on the web and mobile and uh, now they're going to retail. Okay, why? They operate as both the network as well as the processor, as well as the acquiring bank, as well as the issuer, as well as working capital lender, as well as the e-wallet. This is way more than what Visa is doing, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's also a very unique fight in how Visa can try to overcome this or maybe they also are accepting that PayPal is going to be a lot bigger than them in the future, right? And in order to just latch on to that, right? just integrate PayPal, just play ball. Uh, whichever PayPal is going, we are also going. But they are frenemies in that sense. They cannot really attack yeah. each other directly. It's ultimately the consumer that decides. affects, yes. yes, that decides where this direction is going to go. But that being said, there's a lot of opportunity for PayPal to ride on this trend because everything that Visa is doing and they're sharing all these fees and costs with the banks and all that, right? PayPal is just removing it totally and absorbing it into their own PL. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. But I also want to point out that different companies are using different strategies. You, you cannot be very mm. certain exactly what's going to happen also because yes. um, I do appreciate that, you know, PayPal acquired Venmo and they're growing their whole like e-wallet system, you know, P2P mm. transfer. So they're integrating the whole thing, right? But uh, we all need to recognize that it is a very different business, you know, from customer acquisition to competing with uh, other similar providers and all that. What companies like Revolut, companies like Cash Pay, like like Payla, and all of them, they are localized wallet ecosystems that are very established in their own space. So yeah. when we look at it from that view, right, you, you really got a question like, do you want you know Visa and Mastercard to be in this space? Because that would be that would be as big as how Disney went into streaming, you know. I think it is as, as, as big as that, right? It's like Disney is dominant and they're like, oh no, we want to cut this thing. Let's just go into streaming. We provide our own platform. So if Visa comes out and say they're going to do that, right? The share price should move on and move very bigly. So, so it depends on how people price it, right? And I, I do think generally it will come down. Like, generally, when people uh, look at these kind of big moves because um, these are very expensive moves, Right, you gotta set up the whole process, you gotta acquire customer, mm. you care about your TV and, and a lot of these things, mm. it is quite complicated as a business. Not as simple as what people think it is. So although PayPal potentially is a competitor, you know, in fact it is a competitor to Visa. Uh, I'm not sure if Visa want to adopt the same strategies, yeah. which is why I think, you know, Visa just API and connecting with all these big payment providers could be a very good strategy for them. Yeah. But why I think PayPal is a big threat because uh, not now not in the short term, but in the mid to long term, right? Quite possibly. Because PayPal, all it's doing now is just gaining more and more adoption wherever they can be. 
right? Until the point where they have these economies of scale. As of now already, they have better economies of scale as compared to Visa, right? Now, when they get even larger, their cost is going to decrease and decrease and decrease, even on the hardware side of things. Then one fine day, they can say like, oh, we'll provide the same exact services of Visa, just process through us by half the cost. Ah, what is Visa MasterCard going to do after that? Right? So this is the, the, the threat that Visa has to be careful of. As an investor also, you want to be tracking la, from a very industry's perspective. Yeah, so that's PayPal. And uh, lastly, I think will be the domestic solutions. You can call it, maybe even cash is considered a domestic solution. Yeah, some countries, is really just operate a lot through cash. One. No matter what, credit cards also, they are not allowed or not recommended to use because the fees are high. Certain kind of banks, they won't disperse credit cards because of, not not, not say credit cash, the, the income requirements. Right? It's just risky for them. It doesn't make sense for the margin to distribute that. Lah. And uh, the other domestic solutions say it's a very localized version of Visa. Right? These are competitors, but of course, it could also be acquisition targets. Lah. Yeah, but if they just decide to say no, it's like, uh, why should I get acquired? I can just like sit and then absorb all the margin for myself, right? It's like very nice cash flow already, right? That effectively just blocks them out of a market, which could actually be crucial if it's like, think of it as like a pivot point, right? If they mm. are, Visa is able to enter a certain country through this technology, they are better able to fight, say like PayPal or MasterCard or other alternatives, right? Because they're there. But because they are not there, right? They lose their opportunity. So that is also uh, some kind of risk. Yeah, okay. I think those are very good pointers. For people listening in, it's good enough already. Lah. If you, you want to go super deep into the tech and all that, that's a whole different discussion. So yeah, mm. uh, thanks for spending time together again You know, today to talk about Visa as a company. I'm long Visa, just to put it out there. And I think that the company has its dominance in the space for a reason. And okay, but I do think, right, if you invest in Visa, right, you must be realistic. Like, you cannot expect like a 30, 40% growth year on year, okay? Yeah. So Visa will be one of those giants that will grow at 10, 15% year on year, you know, or it will track its top line, it will track its free cash flow growth uh, very closely over time because they are already very big. Whether or not they can go into another wave of growth cycle, there's a whole different discussion. You know, we hope that it yes. goes there. Okay, at least I hope that it goes there. But even if it does store, as long as it stays dominant in this space, you will see that it tracks very closely to its revenue, cash flow growth. Uh, and it's not going to be like, wow, and amazing. Right? It's not a big tech play. It's not a, a new guy in the space. La. Right. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, any last words you want to add? No. Yeah, it'll be very interesting, la, the payment space. So a lot, a lot of activity inside payments, a lot that Visa has to do. La. So very interesting yeah. company. Yeah, okay. Just saying this is not a recommendation. Take care, guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Coconut. So I hope you learned something useful today and definitely recognize that investing is a personal decision. We're not giving you any recommendations here, but I'm always happy to geek out with you about different interesting companies and trends for the future. This series has a lot more depth and terms, so if you have any questions for us, do join our community telegram group or DM us on our socials. Link is in the description. If you love us and want to help us grow, definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. And to stay tuned with what is happening in the markets and in the TFC network, do sign up for our weekly newsletter at thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, I hope you have a great day ahead and may you improve to become a confident, insightful and disciplined investor, ultimately creating the life you love while managing your finances well. See ya next week.